Hey, this is Dean Pleasance from Infectious Grooves, and you listen to Iron City Rocks. Cool. Hey, this is Mike Clark from Suicidal Tendencies, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 74 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. This episode is a bit of a double episode for us, as we'll feature interviews with both Mike Clark and Dean Pleasance of Suicidal Tendencies. Suicidal Tendencies will be playing the Altar Bar on November 15th here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And please visit ironcityrocks.com to enter our contest for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the show. The opening track was a clip from the album Lights, Camera, Revolution, called Send Me Your Money. I thought it was very fitting since they'll be playing the altar bars when they come through Pittsburgh, um, and it was a former church. In the late 80s, I was learning to skateboard. You couldn't pick up a skate magazine in the 80s without seeing something about suicidal tendencies, so for the next song that I would like to play, I have chosen Possessed to Skate from Suicidal Tendencies' latest effort, No Mercy Fool, The Suicidal Family, which features re-recordings of songs from Suicidal Tendencies' Join the Army, as well as Mike Muir and Mike Clark's other project, No Mercy. After this song, we'll start the interview with Mike Clark. Yeah. <laughs> 
Gentlemen, tonight on our podcast, we have with us Mike Clark of the band Suicidal Tendencies. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Great, great. So, I hear Suicidal is embarking on a U.S. tour, your first tour since 2007. Correct. Um, what do you guys got planned for this tour? Um, got planned uh, great shows. <laughs> <laughs> great shows and uh, full-on Suicidal. All right, so... What kind of yeah. what kind of tracks can we expect? Is this gonna be like a throwback to classic suicidal? Is this gonna be a lot of new music? What are we gonna see here? Well, we just came out with a new record, um, "No Mercy Fool: The Suicidal Family," that dropped a few weeks ago, and uh, we're gonna be playing um, quite a few songs off of that, and also sprinkled in, you know, with uh, some of the, you know, a lot of the classics as well. So it's gonna be a nice, well-rounded show. That's awesome. Now, so the Neuromusiful record, that has tracks off of Join the Army, correct? You guys read? Correct. Okay. And then um, also it has tracks, the No Mercy Fool part is, um, I guess, kind of like a tip of the hat to the band that you and Mike Muir had, um, I guess, outside of Suicidal, No Mercy, correct? Right. Yeah, both uh, recordings are going on at the same time, Join the Army and the No Mercy record, so... That's, uh, I guess, why we put this kind of split album out together, you know, with the re-recordings. Oh, that's awesome. You know, to show what was going on back then and what's going on now, so. Yeah, that is great. I'm looking forward to hearing that stuff. Now. Great, thanks. So you guys, you joined Suicidal in 87 or 88, correct? Right around there? Correct. Yeah, right around there. All right, so now I remember your first album. Your first album with Suicidal was the How Will I Laugh Tomorrow album. Correct. That was the album that pulled me in as a suicidal fan. Oh, thank you. And one of the things I want to point out about that is you're a new member to this band, but you come in and looking through this record, you have a lot of writing credits on that record. Right. Well, a lot of that album was recorded for uh, No Mercy um, as far as my end of the songwriting, but uh, unfortunately uh, some... Situations happened in No Mercy to where we could not, um, we could not, we could go on no longer. Actually, so um, kind of, um, I was asked to join Suicidal as a second guitar player, and we used a lot of the, those songs from the No Mercy days. 
So um, what's what, like, what were a couple tracks that were maybe originally No Mercy songs that ended up now being suicidal songs? Well, I'd see like uh, How Will I Laugh Tomorrow. That was going to be a No Mercy song. Also, um, The Miracle. Uh, a couple others I can't really recall right now. But. How Will I Laugh Tomorrow, Mike, is probably my all-time favorite suicidal song. Oh, thank you. I just, I love that song. <clears throat> And it, right. One of the things that really impressed me about that is you had like this really big, like, you know, that quiet beginning with the, the that guitar solo the Rocky's doing in the beginning, you know, real, mm-hmm. real soulful, expressive. But then that breakdown part in the middle just mm-hmm. blew me away on that track. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I just love it because like the band just really came together and it just sounded like Mike was just coming unglued as he was starting to sing in that part. You know, it was oh just yeah! Awesome, awesome track. Yeah, that was great. I remember that. You know, a lot of fun and just yeah, I was just blown away by the sound and uh, how how it came out. I was definitely uh, pleased. So yeah, it was a great album. Now you guys Thank did you. the um, you did an EP a little bit later. I think it was about '88. Was the Control by Hatred? Uh, Feel like shit. Deja vu record. Right. Now, that also had a version of uh, How I Laugh Tomorrow on it, the heavy emotion version. So can you talk right. about, like, how did that version of that song come about? Well, actually, I was just messing around with an acoustic guitar uh, playing the song. And uh, me and Mike were kind of just sitting around, and Mike was like, hey, that sounds pretty cool, you know. Uh, can you work that out? And I was like, sure. So we worked it out and decided to record it, and it's got a whole different kind of uh, feel to it, you know, and um, that's why it was called the heavy motion version. It's just a little darker and uh, pretty cool, you know, acoustically. <laughs> yeah, I guess I always, always love that. Thanks. So, hey, Mike, how old were you when you started playing guitar? Jeez, I was around 16. And uh, what, 16 like... 16 years old. What what got you started? Who were your influences that time? Definitely Jimi Hendrix was my main influence, and still is today. I just love the hell out of the guy. So that was my main influence back then. But then I was also exposed to like punk rock, like Black Flag, and early suicidal and stuff like that. And that took me in another direction. And then also got into like you know heavy speed metal and stuff like that. So it's kind of but. A lot of different backgrounds. So, now have you gotten a chance to go check out the um, the Experience Hendrix tours? No, I haven't. I said we've got one coming through Pittsburgh sometime soon. I'm hoping to go see that because I think that's kind of yeah. what they're doing there. Sure. Yeah, I'm a big big fan as well. Um, yeah, I'd love to see that. Now, so when you were Absolutely. growing up, were you growing up in the in the California area? Like, were you growing up with like the surf punk and out that way with Black Flag, or? Yeah, absolutely. I've been I grew up around the beach my whole life, so I've been in the surfing and skateboarding since I was a really little kid. Awesome. And uh, you know, one day it went from like Led Zeppelin and Hendrix to the next day it was like the Germs and Black Flag and stuff. It was total change, infant change, and uh, the faster, more aggressive music just kind of fit what we were doing, like with the surfing and skating scene. So 
really got into that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, how did you, I guess, how did you first hook up with Mike Muir and those guys? Like, I know you were in No Mercy, but how'd that come about? Um, me and Mike lived about a block away from each other our whole lives and went to the same schools and stuff like that. So I've known him forever. And then, um, when I started No Mercy, you know, um, we just started off as a little punk band and, and sort, sort of progressed over a couple of years. And we had, um, decided that we we were going to get a new singer and uh mike offered his services and that's how the music end of it started and then uh well i guess a year or so later i was asked to join uh suicidal as a second guitar player that's awesome yeah it's it's just amazing like how uh, the the more and more like articles I read, the more people I get to talk to you, like yourself, how um, everybody grew up together. You you all kind of knew each other, and you come together like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were all uh, pretty close, all from the pretty same same uh, area, basically, and um, you know everything kind of fit like a glove. You know, everybody was good friends, and uh, music sounded great, and it was a really good scene back then. See, that's awesome. And that makes it a lot easier when you're in a band. Because, I mean, you know, it's it's tough to spend that much time with four guys. Right. Yeah, we were always hanging out, so. More friends and stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, the band aspect of it was just, to us, it was just, it was great, you know. It was yeah. cool to be, like, in a band with your friends, making really good music, and people people liked it. It was like, pretty uh, gratifying and that's awesome now uh suicidal has been kind of on and off over the past 20 years we'll say um so what do you do like in the downtime because there's been there's been some decent chunks of time where suicidal hasn't been doing anything what do you do, do during those times uh go to work <laughs> <laughs> you know build uh build movie and commercial sets or just some house building carpentry basically okay and then, uh, you know, go out and surf, hang out with my family, you know, nice. <laughs> hang out with my girl, and that's about it. Hey, you Lay it pretty low. That's cool. You ever yeah. done, uh, like, any session work for any other bands or anything? Yeah, I've done some session work here and there, but not any, you know, notable bands. Just more. That's kind of cool. So, um, mm-hmm. in 93... Um, you guys recorded the original Suicidal Tendencies entitled uh, Still Psycho After All These Years. And then right. with um, this latest release, the, the No Mercy Fool, The Suicidal Family, again, we're kind of seeing like a re-recording of the Journey of the Army tracks. So those were mm-hmm. both, you know, kind of iconic albums for Suicidal that were done before right. you got there. How was it, like, mm-hmm. like, how was it to go back and be able to put your take now on those classic tracks? Well, um, geez, uh, let's think about that. That's just, um, we just kind of modernized them. And, uh, I did a lot of different picking on this record than, and rhythm, rhythmic, you know, playing than was on the originals. We sped them up a bit, modernized them, which, you know, uh, added some parts, um, or actually just rearranged parts where it just uh, sounds modern, but to me it's just uh, 
it's brutal. It's just relentless. It's um, it's a really really hard record, and, and it's stuff that that I like to play. So that's awesome. For me, it was it was it was a great opportunity. Yeah. So let's um, since you're mentioning the picking, let's talk about some of your gear and your technique here a little bit. Now, okay, I believe that I heard or read that you're a Fernandez player, right? Yes. All right, now, are you using this as standard guitars? Yes, I am. Okay, now, um, for um, our audience members, the standard guitars have a modified pickup system that will actually recycle the sound that can, you know, basically hold a note as long as you want, and then there's different things. So how do you, right. how do you use that mic live, and, like, how does that go into the suicidal sound? Well, I just uh, basically have a little switch under my um, tone pot, and um, when I want to use it, I just flick it up and get that sound. And it has three different sounds. It has like a a uh, standard like uh, tone sound. Like if you hit an A, it will just keep ringing forever. And uh, you flick it up, and it sounds more of a ghost note sound. And that'll go forever. And then all the way down, it's just like a squealing, kind of fed back, um, tone that's just awesome and I use that one a lot so I think it's really versatile I like it I mean I, I want it on all my guitars and it, it really works out great for me that's awesome As a, and what I find interesting is um, Dean Pleasance is also the, uh, you know, one of the, the other guitar players who settled with you now Right. I got to talk to him a couple months ago um, more about mm -hmm. some of the infectious groove stuff and right. he's, you know, he's a Fernandez player, and it's kind of fun to see how you guys use the same guitar, in theory, like the pickup system, mm -hmm. so differently. You know, because I was watching right. uh, the videos you guys have online. Like, you know, um, Dean's much more, you know, the clean player, that that funk vibe. And I'm watching your video, and I'm like just waiting for my speakers to melt. Like you're just playing this hard, heavy stuff. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, I'm a. I really dig in with my uh, right hand technique, you know, so I really push my guitars to the limit. And um, I thank God for Fernandez because they make some guitars that are really forgiving for that kind of, for that kind of playing. So I'm a really deep picker. I use super hard picks and, uh, you know, I just really like that, uh, that chunk and and when I'm playing fast like fast uh, you know picking uh, rhythms and stuff you know the, the machine gun type of stuff oh, it just kind of sounds great you know really really works out. Now, do you use uh, Floyd trims or do you like a fixed bridge? I use Floyd's. All right. Now, so my next question is, I guess you're getting these guitars from Fernandez. Um, mm -hmm. do you just kind of use them stock as they give them to you or do you get a guitar and like you go through like a ritual that you've got to customize it to make it yours? I basically just pick up a stock and have them set it up and it's ready to go. They make some great guitars. Oh, that's awesome. that's yeah. So, uh, those guys are just, um, I mean, it's awesome to go to the factory and they just ask me, you know, how I want my, uh, how I want my action basically. And, um, what, what gauge strings and it's ready to go, man. <laughs> which is super easy for me and, and they sound great and makes it that much easier. That's excellent. Now, how, yes. how long have you been working with these guys now? With Suicidal? Well, um, Fernan oh, Fernandez. Fernandez. Yeah. With, 
with Fernandez, gee, since, um, say, 90, 97, 98. Oh, wow. Wow, so we're talking, what, about 12, 12 13 years now. That's great. Right, yeah. Now, yeah. Do, you, um, do you have, like, a collection of guitars, or has it just become all Fernandez now? I got a lot of Fernandez. I have a couple of Les Pauls, got a Strat, um, got a couple of quirky weird guitars, you know, so I got a collection. Nice. Now, like, what's yeah. what's your favorite or your quirkiest guitar, I guess? Like, like your favorite quirky guitar? My favorite quirky guitar? Yeah. Uh, it's a it's an old Araya Pro okay. uh, Stratocaster. <laughs> nice. And for some reason, I mean, this thing was built in uh, 1978 or something, but uh, I actually recorded the original No Mercy record with that guitar single coil pickup and uh wow. i don't know for some reason it just sounded great on that but uh i just love the way it plays you know it's got a great neck on it it's got a good feel to it it's kind of sentimental so that's awesome yeah yeah it is man now what kind of amps do you do you favor um right now pv's uh, 6505 plus What uh, what led you to the PVs? Pardon? What like what led you to playing PV? Because that's that's not something I hear well, people play. Back in nineteen uh, early nineties, um, I was playing the fifty one fifties, and I really liked them. And then uh, for years, got away from them due to just them breaking down, and then uh, suicidal, taking a hiatus and whatnot. And then um, when I came back, I was playing like uh, Marshalls and stuff. And Marshalls are great, but uh, they just don't have enough of my tone that I like for me, and the the PV does. PV for some reason with the Fernandez matched, it just sounds really good, and it's like kind of my sound. So, see, and I I like to hear more players playing PV because I think they're a really overlooked brand. Um, yeah, like I just saw they're reissuing their Butcher series. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with those. But I, I remember hearing yeah. some butchers back in the day, and that was a heavy amp. Like it, yeah, it just had some crazy attack, and I'm like, and I was blown away. I'm like, this is PV. I would expect it to be like a Marshall or even like a Mesa, you know, for some of the, mm -hmm. the tones you can get out of those amps. Yeah, totally, right. totally overlooked um, amp line there. Now, so do you use any effects, Mike, or is it just you know guitar no, amp go? Guitar amp go. That's it. Nice. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about that technique a little bit. So you said you're you're you really dig in. You like to use the heavy picks. Do you mm -hmm. do a um, do you do a lot of palm muting? Absolutely. I have my hand right on the bridge, and um, it's ready to go for that super fast strum. And then you just lift it off, and you can strum openly. So I've developed that technique for for years now. You know, but uh, yeah, I definitely always have my hand rested on the bridge. Now, um, I guess you've had, you've had to develop, if you're playing Floyd's, you've kind of had to find that, that sweet spot. Can you give us, uh, any of our listeners, like tips on how you find that sweet spot? Well, what I do is I lay my, uh, say, uh, say you're sticking your hand out to shake someone's hand. Yeah. I lay the bottom of my uh, hand where my pinky runs along, and I stick that right onto the bridge right to the mute spot, okay? okay? And then 
turn my hand to the right. I'm right-handed. I'll turn my hand to the right, grab my pick, and basically my upper area of my thumb will, will mute the, uh, you know, E, B, D strings right there. And um, that's basically it with my bridge technique. And then uh, to get open sounds, I just lift my hand up and strum away. Oh, that's fantastic. So how about um how about your left hand technique? Because you're you're a pretty quick player as well. Like what have you mm-hmm. done? Like what do you do, I guess, to keep like your left hand in shape? Um, I just play tons of different, you know, scales and just go up and down the neck constantly to warm up. And um, you know, uh you just I I used to like um practice a lot of hammer offs, you know. Stuff like that. Uh, until I got it wired and then it just all started coming naturally. So, all right. Now, basically, but uh, yeah, just using the whole neck and uh, working out as much. You know, sc- I I don't even know if you call them scales, but just working it out. So uh, you're just going up and down the neck, constantly moving your hand. You know, keeping it constantly moving, and that applies to like when you're just playing whatever. You know, makes it a lot easier. And do you like focus on trying to like maybe keep your fingers stretched out or really lower the strings? Or I'm sorry. Do you? Do you <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, do you focus on like trying to keep your fingers like really low to the fretboard when you're doing all that to you know kind of increase your speed? Hmm. Um. I guess. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I just have my thumb. My thumb kind of hangs over. My fret's kind of like Hendrix in a way, okay. so I don't really use my thumb or anything. That's just like my technique. And then uh, for chords, more or less, I have my my thumb set on the neck, on the back of the neck. Okay. So it's about that. That's some unique stuff there, Mike. That's pretty cool. Thanks. All right. <clears throat> so, um. Like, what's what's your writing process like? Because, I mean, like like I said, I, I looked at the writing credits. I see your name pop up on a lot of stuff, especially that first record. What's what's your writing mm-hmm. process? You just sit down, grab your guitar, record a couple riffs, or how do you go through that? I'll just kind of be, uh, yeah, I'll be sitting around with my guitar and watching TV or whatever, you know, and uh, just kind of messing around. And then when I hear something I'm playing pop out that sounds good, I'll go, cool, I like that, and I'll remember that. And then, you know, as a day or week goes on, I'll, you know, it, I'll keep coming up with riffs and then I just kind of put them together. So that's pretty much my uh, technique on writing. It just kind of, you know, comes to me through just playing around, basically. I'll never, like, sit down and go, I got to write a song like this. They just kind of pop out and, and I'll just remember them and kind of put them together. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's the way to do it, I guess, huh? <clears throat> no, mm, no stress writing. Not for me, anyways. That's great. Well, I, um, Mike, I'm really looking forward to see you guys coming through here um, in November great. into Pittsburgh. You mm-hmm. guys are going to be playing the Altar Bar. Um, I don't know if you guys have, have ever played that bar before. It's a converted church. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 really interesting. It's it's kind of weird at first being in there. You know, you're like kind of in this church, and I I think the dance floor is actually was the altar at one point. Um, right. Yeah. Some neat stuff. So. Wow. Suicidal tendencies. Spiritual. 
Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be crazy. Church yeah. of suicidal. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Oh my goodness, that's gonna be hysterical. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, so suicidal tendencies, November fifteenth, Alter Bar, Pittsburgh. Mike, can't wait to see you guys, and thanks for taking the time to talk Great. to me tonight. Anytime. Thank you. Can't wait to see you guys myself. Our next interview is with Dean Pleasance, who does double duty with both Suicidal Tendencies and Mike Muir's notorious side project, The Infectious Grooves. For those of you who don't know The Infectious Grooves, they were started by Mike Muir and Robert Trujillo. And yes, I do mean the same Robert Trujillo that now plays with Metallica. It was Robert's bass playing that drew me to The Infectious Grooves in the first place. I loved metal, I loved the funk of P-Funk and James Brown, and to me, the Infectious Grooves were the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup of music. They took two great tastes and brought them together and made this incredible sound called the Infectious Grooves. Before we get into the interview with Dean, I would like to play Punk It Up from the Infectious Grooves' latest effort, Funk It Up and Punk It Up, live in France, 1995. <laughs> Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have a real treat for us here on the Iron City Rocks podcast. We have Mr. Dean Pleasance of the Infectious Groove, the plague that makes your booty move. Dean, how are you doing tonight? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Just uh, been doing a few interviews today. Oh, great. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it. Oh, um, no Glad to be here. So, Dean, how long have you been playing with the, uh, the Infectious Grooves now? Gosh, uh, I started in the very beginning, um, in 1990s, when we all kind of got together. Wow, so you got 20 years in with this band now. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Hard to believe, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember that first record, um... It, it it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, uh, cool. one, one of my buddies brought it over. He's like, Aaron, you you have to hear this. And when he played Punk It Up for me, because I'm a bass player. Yeah. And so when I heard you know Roberts opening line, I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then just the grooves, you guys like you put James Brown together with like Metallica. I mean, <laughs> yeah. How did you guys come up with that sound? Like, what what was the the how that come together? You know. Um... I was sitting at home one day just like this and got a phone call from Robert and uh, came in and he said, oh, you know, I want you to meet Mike and stuff. And he wanted to get you to play on some stuff, do some Wawa stuff. And, and the, you know, it was at a friend of mine's house that I'd, I was basically in a garage band with Robert and this guy Dave Dunn. And okay. they were doing this project and it didn't even have a name. And they had a bunch of guys playing and I met them all and... Uh, Mike Jensen, Phil Kettner, and uh, Rocky George, who you know, and a bunch of other guys. And it was, you know, this heavy stuff. And, and I was like, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, put some Wawa or something or some funk over this. And I was like, okay. And I uh, started playing, and I thought, you know, Mike's kind of looking at me funny, and I'm thinking, oh, this guy hates me, you know. And uh, <laughs> he took me outside and goes, uh, can you come back tomorrow? And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and wow. it ended up being, you know, so so basically it was kind of like, Everybody was doing what they did best, you know, like the heavy guys played heavy, the funk guys played funk, and we just kind of put it all together like gumbo, you know, and it, and it seemed to work, you know. Wow. Yeah. I, I would definitely say that it works. And yeah. it's funny, funny that you mentioned they pulled you in to play Wah, because I wanted to ask about this. Yeah. In the, um, in the credits for, for, the, um, for, for that disc and for the other um, Infectious Groove disc, I noticed that you were always listed as clean guitar. So was that yeah. really just your main responsibility, just all the clean parts? Um, back then, it was, I, did, I did clean, dirty, um, Wah, but mostly on the first record, I did most of all the clean stuff. So I guess that's, you know. They put me as clean, which, you know, I guess just meant no distortion at the time. But <laughs> but, I, but I did do a couple of little, you know, like at the beginning of therapy, I was doing the kind of choo-choo train while with the heavy, heavy guitar, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. But, yeah, mostly all the really crystal clean stuff was me. Wow. Well, let me tell you, you have a groove like um, like Catfish Collins. Like, I just, I can't get over just, just the... <clears throat> The subtleness to to the the parts that you lay down, especially with the wah. So uh-huh. I'm cu- I'm curious here. Like, what were your influences when you started playing guitar? Well, I guess we'll start with how old were you when you started playing? Oh gosh, um, I actually started playing guitar when I was about 17. Okay, I, I played That's trumpet. Late. Yeah, it's late. I played trumpet for years and drums, and uh, I'd always had a guitar in the house, which I kind of messed around with. And uh, I was in st- I was in class, and our and our band director had bought these new instruments and he had a guitar and I loved the way it looked and I my dad had recently bought me a Hendrix CD or cassette back then and uh, I thought well I want to play the guitar and I used to just hold it and look at myself in the mirror so I lied to the band director and said I could play guitar <laughs> and uh, 
he didn't believe me, so he told me I had two weeks to learn this song. If I could play it, he'd let me take the new guitar home. Well, I went home and played till my fingers bled wow. <laughs> on my desk acoustic, and, and I brought it back and played for him, and he you know, gave him permission to take the guitar home, which I walked home with a Fender Twin amp and the guitar and two miles in the Texas heat home. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, my, my early influences were, were really um, horn players and stuff, and then Santana, Hendrix, um, Prince, Funkadelic, James Brown, um, Ronnie Dio, Van Halen, all that, you know, Kiss, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just I was always surrounded by lots of music. I never knew how it would help me, but, you know, I guess it was kind of inside of me at the whole time, you know. Wow, yeah, and, and that's that's a really diverse collection. Like, <clears throat> yeah, like I I grew up listening to the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and then oh, I discovered cool. yeah. yeah, and then I like discovered metal, and I it took me a while to get like the James Brown stuff, which now I just love. Right, like you know, and I, I just I can't believe you grew up with such a diverse background. That's amazing. You know, I, I give the credit to my dad. He he was uh, I was telling somebody the story recently. Um, my dad would go in the record store and ask the person at the desk what was new. And whatever was new, he would just buy it and bring it home. And wow. you know, sometimes we'd laugh at him, and we'd always end up going back and putting the headphones on and listening to it, you know, like, what is this? You know, and, and later yeah. on I discovered my dad was just really very open-minded. Uh, he was in the Air Force, and I guess, you know, he had traveled all over the world, yeah. and he was, just had this different view of music than, you know, than everybody else's father i guess <laughs> wow yeah i'll say yeah um, my mom was my big musical influence my my dad oh, was cool. always trying to shy me away from metal right which, which now they've, they've all come to accept it so it's a good thing there yeah that's good right so um let's talk about some of your other gigs because i i was uh doing doing a little research here yeah. and i see that um you all you've also like in addition to Infectious Grooves, you've also now joined Suicidal Tendencies. Right. But you've also played with George Clinton, Tone yeah. Loke, Jessica Simpson. Um, any Anybody else you want to add in there? Oh, gosh. I played with, uh, play with the Jacksons. I worked with all the Jacksons except for Michael. Um, I wrote a song on Michael's nephew's record. Um, I, I, I moved to California initially to be a session player. and. uh mm-hmm. I was doing sessions and not making a lot of money at it, but playing, you know, getting a lot of credits and playing and kind of just, you know, barely paying my rent. And, uh, but, you know, it was kind of what I wanted to do. And, um, I never imagined I'd be playing with not only suicidal or infectious, but in that type of music, I always wanted to, but, um, you know, I was playing around and actually was signed to Interscope in a, in a male band. And uh, we had a really big record deal. We were signed right after Tupac and Marky Mark. Oh, wow. But we weren't rappers, so we didn't really do as well as they did. <laughs> okay. But, but uh, and that's around the time Robert called me to play with Infectious, uh, you know. And um, so I had been playing around a lot, you know, around town. And, you know, I played, like you said, uh, Ugly Kid Joe. I played on their record. Uh, they toured with us and were really cool and wow. asked me to come in. And... Um, George Clinton, I played on some remixes for him, and uh, I'd met him several times. And during the session, he wasn't there. You know, it was a producer was there. That was it. But um, I, w- I was doing that kind of stuff all the time, and uh, you know, was really looking to be in a band. You know, and w- once I got an infectious, I was really happy because it was kind of 
I always wanted to be in a band that was doing that kind of music, something that was just crazy, different, and, you know, not like everybody else. I guess the term back then was alternative. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but in, in fact, this was definitely not your typical alternative band. I mean, like right. when you said, it was something so new. It, it just I, I I can't forget the first time I heard it. I was just blown away. Like I used to listen to that uh, that first record over and over and over again, start to finish. Oh, like, that's cool, man. Yeah. The, the girls I was dating at the time got so sick of hearing that record. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, listen to this part. Listen to what right. they're doing here. <laughs> that's cool. Oh yeah, it was just amazing stuff. So, how do you keep up your chops? I mean, because you know, metal chops, jazz chops, you got some funk and R and B chops. That those are all technically very different things. Like, what do you what do you do to keep your keep yourself loose for that kind of stuff? You know, it's it's funny that you say that. Each one of the things that I've developed has kind of just came through life's experience. Um, uh, when I like I said, when I was doing R and B, I was just kind of doing it. When, when I got an infectious, I had to really learn how to play, you know, heavy in a different way. Like, I was used to playing, like, you know, I could play metal songs and Dio and a couple of Van Halen songs, but I really learned punk rock, the punk rock style from Mike Muir, from watching him, and heavy stuff from Adam Siegel from Excel. And I really just watched their, you know, the way they played and kind of just took from that. And, and also uh, Rocky George kind of showed me a lot of stuff that he did and kind of put me on a path to, you know... To, to learning that, you know, and as far as the other stuff, um, you know, a few years ago, well, gosh, 2004, I was touring with Jessica Simpson, which is funny. Um, I played with her for like, gosh, four years. And, uh, wow. yeah, I was doing mostly like the rock stuff and, but you know, we were, I had to read music and do all that stuff. So I pretty much would just teach myself for, for whatever situation came up and it wasn't always easy, but I think the main thing was I really just wanted to do it, so I would just force myself to do it. You know? Yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that's kind of how it just came along. It's, you know, like you hear the old stories of, of the old blues guys, you know, singing about life's experience and, and just learning to play through whatever they felt. I think it's true when you just allow yourself to do it, you know. And uh, I think if you love music, like you said, playing a bass or guitar or whatever it is you play, you know, if you have an open mind i never had an ego about the guitar you know yeah. it was never a competition i was never afraid to walk up to a guy and say how did you play that you know i, would just, yeah. I had no shame i would just ask like show me that like you know? oh I, i'm the same way if i see something cool it's like all right all right what, what'd you do there show me exactly that. Yeah. exactly man yeah it's like it, it was never a thing like oh you know this guy's you know better than me and you know i mean the coolest thing that ever happened to me we, we were at a rehearsal studio called mates in the valley and we were playing, there was a knock at the door. And we used to get people knocking on our door all the time, you know, from Paul Stanley to you name it. And, uh, you know, Slash fell asleep in our rehearsal one time, you know, <laughs> nice. like on the couch with a cigarette burning. I had to go take it out of his mouth and put it out. <laughs> but one day the door knocks and it's Steve Vai, you know. Wow. And he, he walks in and he's like, oh, can I, can I uh, hang out? And we're like, yeah. And he knew the drummer because Brooks was signed to his uh, label on Interscope. Okay. And he was in a band called Bad for Good. So Steve Vai's hanging out, and then he, you know, he gets up. He's like, "Can I play through your rig?" And I'm just like, "Whoa, you know, Steve Vai's gonna play my guitar." You know, <laughs> and he stands up and he's like playing through my rig and asking me questions about my pedals. And I remember I called my mother and told her, "I go, you know, remember that movie Crossroads? You know, the guy that was that was in hell, you know, playing the guitar. <laughs> That's awesome. That guy just playing my guitar, you know. But I mean, that kind of stuff to me was just like, you know, it was just the coolest 
you know, the coolest thing in the world, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's all, it all comes down to it's about community, you know? Yeah. That's, that's the fun part about being a musician is it's the community of it, you know? Right, exactly. And it was never, like, to me, like, any chance I had to learn, any chance I could take something away from it, I would I would do it, you know? It was never about the ego, you know? Oh, that's great. So, hey, speaking of your gear, uh-huh. um, I see that you play Fernandez. Yes. So, now, what, have you always played Fernandez, or what led you there? You know, I, I didn't always play Fernandez. I never even really knew who they were. I had a friend that had a Fernandez years ago, and I played it, and I liked it. And uh, I had a deal with Fender. I had a deal with ESP. And some friends of mine that were working for Mike Tobias, when he sold his company to Gibson, uh, started working for Fernandez. And they said, hey, come down and, you know, check out our guitars. And this was around 92, 93. And uh, checked them out. And they said, we'll make you a couple. You know, if you like them, you know, we'll do a deal with you. Because they didn't have a lot of bands. And uh, the main guy over there really liked Infectious Grooves. And he liked Suicidal. So I started playing them. And they made these uh, guitars for me. And they were just, like, wonderful. Um, felt really good. They worked on them for me. They were always loyal to me. So I just, over the years, just always played Fernandez, and they, you know, have always taken care of me really well. Wow. Now, you're a big fan of the sustainer guitars, too, right? Or the sustainer yeah. system? Yeah, I, I love know. sustainer. Now, for our audience members who aren't aware of the sustainer, it's it's a pickup system, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here, Dean, but it's, it's a pickup system that kind of recycles the tone and, and keeps, lets you hold notes longer, and from the videos I watch, you can even pick, like, harmonics or whatever yeah. overtones that you want. So tell me, how how do you use that live? Live, I use a sustainer. Um, sometimes, you know, like, like in the video I was talking about, sometimes you're live and you can find that sweet spot. And you know what I mean? When you when you play on the guitar and you get all that, all that wattage going through you and you turn sideways and boom, there's that harmonic. And then sometimes you can't. But with the sustainer, it's always there. And it's like, you know, you can use it. It's got the one I have on mine on on all my guitars has a three position switch. Okay. You can get a the first harmonic or you can get the second one with the higher octave. But I, I use it sometimes just to hold the note. And um you can use it with chords, with swells, I mean it's just you know, and, and the tone will just stay there. It's just, you know it it's really beautiful and it, it kinda adds once you play play it for a while, you don't want to play another guitar. It's like it's just amazing having that ability just to hit that switch and hold that, you know, that note or hit a harmonic when you want it really adds to the expression of the guitar player. I, I agree with that. I, I went on YouTube and I was watching some of your demo videos you have out there. Uh-huh. Um, and, man, it was blowing me away, the tones you were getting. And just, like, when you went to that harmonic mode, I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's yes, a it, gorgeous tone. Yeah, it's a great idea. You know, when I first got them, I didn't really use it that much. And um, I didn't really get into it till later, and I started to get into it. And then I realized when I'd play guitars that didn't have it, especially live, yeah, I'd be like, man, I need my sustainer, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so really, I, I think live was the first way I fell in love with it. Then recently, recording new suicidal stuff, I, I used it on a lot of solos, just being able to, you know, to hold it. I, um, I remember Rocky had a thing called an Ebo. I don't know if you remember those. Oh, yeah, I remember those. I've, I've used those. Yeah, and he used to put it, clip it on the end of his, his head of the guitar, and okay. it would hold the note, you know, it would just vibrate the neck, and it would hold this note forever. And, but it didn't give you the harmonics, though. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah. So the sustainer is kind of like a, you know, 
the next wave of the Ebo really, you know, you can just really do so much with Annie. You don't have to sit there and hold it on your guitar or do anything. It's just in the guitar, you know? Yeah. After, after watching those videos, Dean, I've, I've been thinking about, because um, I saw you can buy just the pickup system. I'm thinking about retrofitting one of my guitars with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can just blew my mind. It. Yeah, yeah. Same to me. It tripped me out when I first saw it. So you mentioned working on some new suicidal material. What kind of material do we have coming out from either suicidal or infectious? Um, well, let's start with suicidal. Um, okay. Suicidal, we kind of, uh, we've we always been recording. We always have stuff, you know, Mike is always, you know, wanting to do new stuff. And uh, the most recent stuff we've done, we kind of went back to the old way of recording. Um, where Mike Clark and the drummer and the bass player kind of just laid the foundation and I just came in and did solos and melodies the way Rocky and Clark used to do it a long time ago. And yeah. it, really, it really makes a unique sound, and it really separates the band from Infectious um, with that sound. You know, as far as Infectious, um, with the new lineup we have, we just went in the studio uh, a few years back and just started working on stuff. And we've, you know, kind of amounted a whole bunch of new things that are just really cool, uh, really, you know, I think just all that comes from from each person lends to a big, you know, like I guess always use the term gumbo pot, but a big, you know, yeah. mixture, a melting pot of of you know music. And, That's uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, are there um, is there plans for a new Infectious Grooves record here for us rabid fans? Yes, you know, and you know, I, we had the release, you know, of, of the older stuff, and. Um, but I think, you know, right now we're just trying to get a game plan for it as Infectious has been touring now because we hadn't toured in so long. And now we've been out in, in France and uh, in Germany and places like that trying to, you know, kind of show people that didn't know us who we were and uh, the people that knew us, giving them a chance to see us, you know, and here's the new lineup and here's what we're doing. And and uh, we've had a really good response over the last two tours, actually last three, um, really good response in Europe and uh I'm hoping we can start doing some shows in the States. Uh would, would be really cool. Um thinking maybe House of Blues or something, you know, would be a cool place for us. That'd be awesome. That was going to be my next question, actually, because uh, I've never gotten to see you guys live. Yeah. And I really, really want to see you guys perform live. Man, you know, I hope we can make that happen for you. <laughs> That'd <laughs> really be awesome. Do. Yeah. All right, so here's here's another cra- crazy question here. Um, and, again, I've, I've listened to, like, um, the first three records – Religiously, almost. Yeah. So, what I'd like to know is, who is the voice of Aladdin Sarsipius Sulemanagic Jackson III? <laughs> well, you just said it. Aladdin Sulemanagic. He's the guy's name, His real name is Aladdin. He's, he's the voice of Sarsipius. And, uh, no kidding. We were recently trying to get a hold of him to, to make a reappearance on some stuff. Um, he's in the valley. Uh, I don't know what happened to him. I think he got married and <laughs> kind of disappeared. But um, he he was a funny guy. He just had this crazy voice. If you saw him, you wouldn't even think it was him. You know, you just, oh, okay. He was actually uh, training to be an Olympic skater. and uh, <laughs> Yeah, Olympic ice skater. And I, I think he was working for the Yugoslavian consulate or something, Um translating or something but yeah if you saw the guy you would never think it was Sarsipius. <laughs> wow wow that, yeah. how'd that come about was he like like a friend of the band just yeah, kind of hanging out yeah he was a friend of robert's i i knew him actually for years and uh and uh he kind of always tried to play drums and stuff and hung out with the band and 
we were in the studio, and he he was always do these funny voices, you know, and it was hilarious. So we just, you know, we had this character Sarsipius that was this green lizard, you know, that was always causing trouble. Yeah. So he became Sarsipius, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I got one final question for you here, Dean. We'll wrap up our interview tonight. Oh, no um, problem. Infectious Grooves has to be one of the most amazing band names I think I've ever heard. How how did that come about? How did you guys come up with that name? That's another good question. Um, like I was telling you before, I was in a garage band with, with Robert a long time ago, and the keyboard player that was in the band is named Dave Dunn. And he was kind of kind of new wave guy and played on like disco records and all this and that, and... Uh, Kind of a surfer, just total like Spigoli, California dude. You know, if you saw him, okay, like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, he was like, hey, bro, you know, one of those kind of dudes. Yeah. And we were in the studio recording, and he turned around one day and he just goes, man, you know, these grooves are like really infectious. <laughs> and Mike looked at him and goes, what'd you just say? He goes, these grooves are really infectious. He goes, infectious grooves. That's the name of the band. There that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Dean, I really, again, appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us here at the Iron City Rocks podcast and also for the Radioactive Metal podcast. This will also be aired on. Yeah. Um, and, um, again, just thank you very much. Oh, man, thank you. That concludes our show for today. Don't forget to stop by our website, www.ironcityrocks.com, to enter to win a pair of tickets to the Suicidal Tendencies show at the Altar Bar on November 15th. And while you're on our site, please stop by our blog where you can read more about the artists that we feature on the show, uh, as well as any upcoming concert events that might be going on in the local scene. As always, thank you for listening. (laughs) 